welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids, and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. This week's episode of the podcast might be one of my new favorites. I got to chat with Elisa Childers about the progressive Christianity movement, what it looks like, why it's problematic, how to spot it, how to speak up against it, and standing up against those who attempt to twist the gospel. This is something that Elisa is super prolific in. She has built her ministry, calling out false prophets and calling things like she sees them. And today on this episode, that is no different. Hey, Elisa, welcome to the Crappy Christian Podcast. Hi, Blake. Thanks for having me. So in a time like now, more than ever, we need this conversation and we need people who are writing books like yours, which is coming out, another gospel. And I'm so thankful that there is somebody in this space just super upfront taking on progressive Christianity and woke Christianity and theology. And I am so excited to jump in on this conversation today. I am too. Thank you for for providing the space to have this conversation because I don't think a lot of people really want to talk about it. I think people are kind of shy to talk about it. So good on you for having the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not usually one to shy away from things. (laughs) I probably should a little bit more than I do. But to get us started, obviously, just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your book, Another Gospel. Well, I am the least likely apologist that you'll ever meet. So if you would have asked me 10 years ago what I would be doing today, I would never have dreamed that I would say I wrote a book and I have an apologetics blog, an apologetics podcast, because I am 100% a flaky artist. I was raised by a flaky artist musician. But I think because of that, I really did get to experience some of the really good parts of Christianity that have to do with the feelings and the emotions. I always could feel the presence of God when I was a kid and really related with God on a deeply emotional level. And I think there was some good to that, but there was also some negative to that because I never really intellectually examined my faith. Mm -hmm. I never considered any kind of skeptical claims against Christianity and took them seriously in any way because I was like, well, I feel God. Mm. I don't have any reason to doubt what I believe. And so I ended up going to a, a church that would go on to become a progressive Christian church. And it was in that church that my faith was challenged. And we can get into that story in a bit if you want to. But all of that essentially led me to starting an apologetics blog because when my faith was challenged in this church, God brought apologetics into my life. And that's what he used to help rebuild my faith and to essentially just give me this really strong foundation intellectually to go along with the emotional and the the feelings side of it. 
And so I wanted to just share that with other people. And so when I had the opportunity to write the book, Another Gospel, I really wanted to write my story. I wanted people to understand what it felt like for me to walk through having my faith challenged on such a deeply intellectual level and then how I sort of dug out of that pit and where I looked for answers and how I analyzed the questions and where I landed on those questions. And so, yeah, I'm really thankful to God. I'm thankful for His faithfulness to walk me through that process and essentially birth this book into the world this week. Because mm-hmm. when we're recording, it's coming out, right? It can't. Yeah, it came out two days ago. Oh my gosh, congratulations. It's literally like a baby. It's you literally a book newborn, baby. Newborn little book baby. <laughs> book baby. I love it. So there are a couple of things that I want you to define for people in case they're not familiar. First, can you explain what apologetics is? Yeah. And that's a great question because I do think there are some misconceptions about that whole discipline of apologetics. So apologetics is not apologizing for what we believe. It's not some kind of snooty, intellectual, academic, scholarly debate platform pursuit. I mean, that is a part of it sometimes. But essentially, apologetics is just giving an answer for why you believe what you believe. So we know that the Bible tells us to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And that that Greek word for always give an answer is the word apologia. And that's where we get the English word apologetics. And it's a courtroom term. So back in the first century Roman Empire, if you were accused of a crime, you would have the opportunity to give an apologia. You would get to defend yourself and give evidence for your innocence. And, and you would be able to make a case for what you thought was true. And so it's the same with Christianity. Biblically speaking, we're essentially called to do that, to be able to present a case to unbelievers and to skeptics as to why we have this hope, why, why we believe in this good news, this message of the gospel. And essentially, I think apologetics is not so much intellectual propositions and snooty stuff, but I think it's more just helping people, just the average person, to clear away intellectual obstacles that they have in front of them that are blocking their view of the gospel. So if they think the Bible is corrupted, if they think that the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, those can be intellectual obstacles that apologetics can essentially help clear those away so that they can take a really good look at the cross. And so that's how I like to look at it. Yeah. And what's funny is that this is a term that I'm just recently becoming acquainted with and didn't realize that some of my favorite people to listen and learn from, this is how they define themselves. Like the guys from the Just Thinking podcast, yeah, Daryl Harrelson and Virgil Walker. I love them. And they... I noticed them using that term apologetics and and define you know calling what they do that and started kind of looking into it and exactly what you said was like oh so this is just like what we should all be doing is like being aware and it's actually what we're already all doing it's just right some people are doing it better than other people right or like more actively or they're more gifted in it like you yeah. are a very you are very gifted in this you're a very gifted writer very gifted speaker as they are you know i think that that's just like one more way that all our giftings look different and yeah. we just walk in them so understanding what your you know your approach to it is i want to talk about the what right like what you're approaching so progressive christianity how would you 
define that for somebody? Okay, so it's it's a little bit hard to define because there are so many elements that go into it. There's theological, cultural, political, there's all kinds of different elements that make up this movement of progressive Christianity. But I think if I just did like a helicopter flyover of what it is, it's essentially a movement. It's a group of Christians that are coming up and out of the evangelical church that are essentially kind of grabbing onto some of the more liberal theological conclusions that we saw arise in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. So they're questioning the authority of the Bible. They're questioning whether or not we really think the whole Bible is the Word of God, whether it's internally coherent, whether it's telling the same story from Genesis to Revelation, or is it really filled with contradictions and errors? And so we have to look other places to figure out what we think about God. They're questioning core essential doctrines of the Christian faith, like the resurrection of Jesus. There's kind of a downplaying of the miraculous nature of the Mm -hmm. New Testament to where it's like, yeah, we're not going to say those didn't happen, but maybe we should just focus more on the meaning we can draw from the stories that we read in the Testament rather than worry about whether the resurrection really happened. Yes, that's it. But in reality, I mean, Christianity stands or falls based on the resurrection. Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. And so essentially, like, if that's not true, you can just pack it up, call it a day. But in progressive Christianity, everything, all of these things, not just secondary issues that we would all agree to disagree about, but I'm talking core issues. These are the ones that they're calling into question and really giving themselves permission to either redefine or deny altogether. Yeah. And so it's primarily, I think it's primarily a theological movement, but of course there's going to have cultural ramifications. Mm-hmm. One of the the hallmarks of progressive Christianity would be an affirmation of same-sex marriage and same-sex relationships, redefining of, of the biblical view of those things. And so there, there's a whole bunch of things that sort of come together to make this movement. But I think what makes it unique is that we're seeing it really unite itself within the evangelical church. So whereas the church in in past times Mm -hmm. has been able to successfully keep some of these ideas out, they're fully in now. They're coming to a church near you. (laughs) Yeah, right. And the thing that comes to mind when I've experienced or come in contact with this progressive Christianity is that it feels like they're just attempting to make it more palpable Mm. and more easily accepted, more widely accepted, forgetting that the gospel is generally quite offensive and is meant to be countercultural. Do you agree with that? That they're kind of just trying to make it this thing that is completely otherworldly and countercultural. They're trying to like make it fit with America. Yeah, that that is very well put, Blake. Honestly, very well put. Because I think what it is too, is that theologically, they're drawing from some of that older scholarship from the late 1800s, 1900s, but they're blending it with this sort of postmodern mood Mm -hmm. that's sort of dominating our culture right now. So the relativism, you know, what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. And then of course, culture, there's this extreme pressure on everyone to capitulate on issues of sexuality, morality, the current racial discussions, all of this stuff. There's like this real pressure to capitulate to this secular way to Mm -hmm. approach these topics and to solve some of the problems that we all feel underneath these things. And so I think in progressive Christianity, what we're seeing is a group of people saying, 
man, this pressure is intense. Like we're getting called bigots. We're going to be called harmful and hateful people if we hold to a biblical ethic. But Blake, like you pointed out just a second ago, Christians are supposed to be countercultural. Christianity has always been countercultural from the first century right up until today. And I think because we've experienced such freedom in this country Mm -hmm. up to this point, like we're kind of fat and sassy and like, oh, it's all good. But this is really our turn now to stand up for the truth of the gospel just as all the Christians who have come before us have had to do, it's just, it's kind of new for us because we haven't had to do that. Exactly. Exactly. And so because we've never had to do this, we don't know how. (laughs) That's a great point. And thankfully there are biblical and theological scholars like you that are helping us learn and, and give defense, but Kind of side note, I don't know if you've seen like what's going on in New York with the Jewish community and they're being pretty like specifically persecuted. I think I saw something about that today. Yeah, Yeah. it's terrifying and really sad and kind of feels like history repeating itself. But I had spoken up about it in my Instagram stories and I had a few people DMing me like literally saying, well, do you think it's really our job to defend God? Mm. And to me, that was just such a snapshot that it's more important that we're nice and peaceable and don't step on toes and say, hey, this is wrong. Or what in the case of progressive Christianity, what you're saying is wrong. Mm. Like we're not willing to do that. Yeah. And I think that that some of that is based on culture's redefinition of some really important words, like particularly the word love. So Mm. culture has redefined the word love to mean an acceptance of whatever somebody else wants to do, whatever they want to believe or whatever kind of behavior they want to pursue. It's the most loving thing is just affirm them in that, encourage them in that, celebrate them in that. But of course, we know biblically that love is defined by some feel-good words we like, like love is kind and patient and all of that stuff. But it also says that love cannot rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. And Mm -hmm. so love actually biblically defined can't rejoice in anything that contradicts the holiness or the nature of God. And so I think what we're seeing in culture is people not wanting to really step into the ring and take a stand for what's actually right Yes. Because it's it's defined by culture to be unloving to do something like that. So it's just this uphill battle the whole way. Mm-hmm. And you said this earlier that a lot of the time doing what you're saying is going to not only get you kind of labeled as unloving, but way worse things like yes. racist and sexist and homophobic and xenophobic when yes. you're just trying to... Like, can one thing be sacred? Can just... Can we just keep these general, not even general, like, can we keep these couple of foundations that our entire belief system is built on? Can we Mm. not mess with those, please? Right, (laughs) That's all I'm asking for. Yeah. No, it's so true because it's just this free for all, not just Mm -hmm. in culture, but in the church even now too, with this influx of progressive Christians saying, hey, look, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can go with culture on all of these hot button issues, but you can still call yourself a Christian. You can still put the Jesus label on it. And you can actually, and and it's viewed as like this morally higher ground. Like you, Mm -hmm. you actually will show them who Jesus really is because Jesus would never judge anybody. Jesus would never be harsh or condemning. And so 
it's like this, not just the redefinition of certain words, but it's, it's an entire redefinition of who God is and who Jesus is. And, and, you know, I get criticized because outright say, I really think that progressive Christianity is a different gospel. That's why I titled my book, another gospel with a question mark, because I wanted to pursue that question. Is this just a group of Christians who might be changing their minds on some hot button social topics, or maybe they have, you know, some more nuanced political views? I don't, it's not. It, this this no. is a group of Christians who are redefining what Christianity actually is and what it has always been and what's made it unique in the world for 2000 years. And so what that gives you is a different gospel, a different God, a different Jesus. And it's it's a God who can't save you. It's a God that's impotent to save you from your sins because he really doesn't, he's not all that concerned with your sin. Mm-hmm. And so at a fundamental level, it's a different religion. Yeah. So you have inner circle firsthand experience in a church that went from an evangelical Christian worldview to a progressive Christian worldview. And I actually kind of have a little bit of experience with that. But retrospectively for you, when you look back on that experience, maybe for for people who are maybe walking through the same thing or may eventually, do you look back and see markers that showed themselves as you were walking through that? Oh, yes. So I was vulnerable to the ideology of progressive Christianity because I had spent the better part of a decade touring the country with CCM group Zoe Girl. So I I mean, I went to every kind of church you can imagine. I we played the big mega churches. We I even played a faith and prosperity church. I didn't know it at the time, but it was this big major word of faith church. We played the tiniest little liturgical churches. We played every kind of church you can imagine. And so Getting to see kind of the underbelly of the evangelical world, I think, can make you a little jaded, a little harsh in your heart. It can kind of harden you in a way to where you see people at their worst sometimes. Now, I saw a lot of people at their best too. So I don't want to just make it sound like it was a horrible experience. We definitely encountered the mega church pastor with his six man security team and just, mm. you know, this is the whole thing. And so I think that by the time I was, attending this church, there were a lot of problems that I saw in the evangelical church. And I think some of those were really legitimate critiques. And I think the progressives were bringing in some legitimate critiques in the beginning, which is why I was feeling so on board with them because I was like, yeah, I have these concerns too. What I didn't realize at the time though, was that they were going to be throwing out the entire gospel, Mm. like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And so when I had this experience at the church, it wasn't a progressive church when I first went there. In fact, the pastor was preaching fairly orthodox sermons on Sunday mornings, very insightful sermons, historically Christian sermons. But it was in the context of this really small study group that he invited me to be a part of that he revealed to us he was actually an agnostic and he called himself a hopeful agnostic. (laughs) And yeah, and so I think that he was having a deconstruction process Mm -hmm. throughout this class, but he was bringing in all these claims against what I'd always believed about my faith, about everything about Christianity and Jesus and God. And by the time we left, it really rocked my faith to the core. I, I went through my own deconstruction process. Of course, I didn't know what that was at the time. I didn't know what was happening to me. But man, I was intellectually persuaded that this was all just a big fat lie. Mm. But my heart knew that it was true. And so 
I made a decision. I was, I was like, okay, so for every fact that this guy knows and the conclusions that he's come to, there's somebody somewhere that has the same facts, but has come to different conclusions. And I, at least before I'm going to walk away from this whole thing, I need to find somebody who has all the same data basically, but has come to a different conclusion. And that's when God brought apologetics into my life. And I discovered this wide world of Christian scholarship and just the, not just that we kind of had enough answers to skate by, but like robust answers that dwarfed the questions that came up in this class. And so I'm so thankful to God for his faithfulness and for his grace to just walk me through that whole process and, and allow me really to experience that dark night of the soul so that I could come out of it and maybe help some other people. I think there are probably so many people who are listening right now that have either walked through that in the church capacity or on their own, right? Have had things put in front of them that have forced them to do that digging and and kind of get there on their own, especially if they have evangelical backgrounds and they've never really had to question it before. And then I think, sadly, like you're saying, I think a lot of people have probably walked through this in the actual church capacity that you have. And so one of the things that I wanted to talk about to kind of help arm people to walk forward in this is how we can determine if our church is leaning that way. Mm. How do we see it before it happens, right? Before you are looking around going, oh gosh, I don't agree with any of this, you know, how you can see it coming. That's a really important question because it's not like progressive Christians get up in the pulpit and say, hey, everybody, I'm a progressive Christian and I'm going to tell you a different gospel. So take notes. No, it's a very, very slow and subtle Mm -hmm. drift away from biblical truth. And sometimes it's almost imperceptible. And so it's funny you would ask me this question because just today, I'm working on a blog post that I'm going to be putting on my blog soon called, Is My Favorite Author Speaker or Pastor a Progressive Christian? Mm. And so it's some of the things, and I give a list of things they might deny, things they might affirm. They wouldn't have to deny or affirm all of those things, but one or more would be a good indication. Maybe they're heading progressive. But I think generally speaking, what you're going to be looking for in your church is a lowered view of the Bible. So if Mm. you hear your pastor say things like, well, you know, uh, I disagree with Paul on this issue because Paul had these biases against women or Paul had these prejudices that that were inherent to him. If you hear them sort of devaluing biblical writers or acting like maybe not the entire Bible is the Word of God, but maybe just parts of it or parts that God might show you, any kind of a of talk like, hey, when the prophets wrote the scriptures, they weren't really speaking for God, but they were just giving us their best understanding <sighs> of God in their times and places. That's a huge yeah. red flag. Another red flag would be when feelings and personal conscience are put above biblical truth. So. If you hear people say things like, well, I determine truth based on how it affects people. If somebody feels like they're being harmed by this truth, then that that can't be true. Or if it makes them healthy and whole and satisfied and happy, then it must be true. Like that's a huge red flag to look for. You're going to be looking for the heart of the gospel message. Is the heart of the gospel message that's being preached in your church that Jesus came and died on the cross to save sinners from 
being enemies mm-hmm. of God, essentially reconciling us to God? Or is the heart of the gospel message that's being preached in your church something more along the lines of social justice or reconciliation among people, but not man to God? Like that would be a huge red flag. And look for redefinition of terms and and a willingness to re-examine core doctrines of the Christian faith. Anything like that is going to be a huge red flag. But one little tip I'll give you, because I had a friend who did this, who went to the church I went to where my faith was challenged. She stayed a lot longer than I did. And she had a hard time discerning what was going on because he was a lot more, honestly, he was just a lot more deceptive on Sundays because he would hold back some of his real opinions. But what she did is she kept a notebook. And every time he said something that gave her a red flag, she would write it down. After a year, she said she looked back at her notebook and she looked at everything she had written and she was like, oh my gosh, like we're out, we're done. I thought that was so smart of her to do that because we tend to forget, right? We just, oh yeah, that I remember having a red flag, but once it's all written down, she, it was so mm-hmm. clear to her. So that would be a good idea too. If you don't want to just jump and do something rash and quick, we'll start keeping notes of every single time you hear something that gives you a red flag and you'll be able to assess that better after some time goes by. Those are such good markers and so sad because I'm listening. I'm I personally am taking notes while you're talking and I'm I'm writing these things down and realizing how rampant this is on the internet. Mm, it really is. Like aside from churches, which is super important. Mm-hmm. This is so rampant in Christian leadership right now. Yes. Listen, like it's everywhere. It's yeah. everywhere. So if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you know that I am a huge advocate for counseling. I am super open about my personal mental health struggles and even more so how counseling has made such a massive impact. And so in the midst of some of the weirdest times, I am super excited to partner with Faithful Counseling to bring you affordable and accessible online Christian counseling. You get matched with your counselor within 24 hours and you can start talking. You can do texting. You can do calls. You can do video conferences. If you don't immediately jive with your counselor, you can switch and they price on a sliding scale. So it's always going to be affordable. And I really just cannot sing their praises enough, as well as the people that I have been able to connect with their services. I constantly get DMs from people just thanking me for telling them about it. So I wanted to tell you about it. You can get 10% off of your first month with Faithful Counseling by going to getfaithful.com slash crappy Christian and connect with a counselor and start getting the help that you need today. I think we talked about this before. I think this was before we started recording. Now that we've been talking for so long, I'm, it's starting to blend together. But I get a, a pretty solid amount of DMs from people asking, what do you think about so-and-so? What do you think about so-and-so? But more often than not, the question is posed in, why do I feel weird about this? Right. I read this in everybody. Okay. Like, I mean, we're just going to, you and I both are like name namers. So I'm just going to go for it. Like <laughs> Glennon Doyle. Yeah. People are like, I read a chunk of Untamed and I just don't feel right about it. I'm like, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit in you. Don't ignore that. Listen to that because 
I love what you said about that. It is a slow and subtle drift from traditional teaching. I think that there's often a flashpoint mm-hmm. where it is slow and subtle. And then all of a sudden they can't restrain it anymore. And they kind of, they have this flashpoint moment of, okay, here's what I really believe. And that is shocking for people. Mm. But I think that if they were equipped with the things that you just laid out and the things that I'm sure are in your book, they wouldn't even get to that point. The people that are following along, they would have seen it long before it really came into the light. And these people kind of flung it wide open. Yeah. And I think staying in the word for yourself every single day is a huge deterrent to Mm -hmm. some of this because you're going to spot a counterfeit in a second, in just a hot second. If you're in the word every day, and you know what Jesus really sounds like, and you know what the voice of God really sounds like, when somebody comes along and says, oh, this is who Jesus is, you're going you're gonna to be able to spot that stuff in a second if you're really well acquainted with the real thing. And I think that's such an important thing to do because, oh. I mean, the biblical illiteracy that we're seeing in the church especially is just shocking. And it's I honestly think that's what's setting everybody up to be so easily deceived. Very. But at the same time, some of these deceptions are really clever. So, you know, don't be too hard on yourself if you're on the mm-hmm. in the word every day and you still we all, myself included, can be deceived. We all can. I have been in my life, so I know that I can be. And so I think that like you said just clinging to the leading of the Holy Spirit and reading the word for yourself so you know what the real thing is. I mean, if you're doing that and pursuing God wholeheartedly, denying yourself and wanting to take up your cross mm-hmm. and follow Jesus, he's going to see you through. You'll be okay, even if you kind of get tripped up a little bit in the meantime. But yeah, know the real thing. That would be my main piece of advice, I think. I really think so many of my podcast episodes, I could just title biblical literacy because that's <laughs> just like ends up becoming the subject because I'm super passionate about it because I tell people all the time, Instagram cannot be your Bible. Right. It cannot be your Jesus. It cannot be your church. It cannot be your worship experience. I think that it can be a tool. And I learn from really incredible teachers in that space, but it is never going to be the real thing. And it's not going to teach you how to get into the real thing because they want to keep you on Instagram. They're going to keep you on Twitter. They want to keep you on Facebook. So, like, open the real thing. And learn how to read it for yourself and learn that truth for yourself. And then exactly like you're saying, when you are rooted in scripture, when you it's literally written on your heart and you know it, then somebody starts lowering their view of the Bible. They start questioning foundational biblical truths and you instantly can go, yeah. whoa, uh, I don't know about that one. Mm-hmm. Essentially repeating what you just said. It's just, it's so important. And I think that we've turned Instagram into a Bible because you can follow all these really great Christian teachers Mm -hmm. and think that you're opening your Bible when you open an app. And you can read one verse they might post. And that's, I mean, it's better than nothing. But when we're just reading solitary verses that aren't within the context of the actual chapter that they're located in, and even in the larger scope of the whole Bible, it can be really easy to take a verse like that and just kind of apply it to yourself and not be aware of what it might even really be about. Mm -hmm. 
And that can be really dangerous too, is just taking one verse out of context. And that that's sort of the other pitfall of the Instagram Bible is that you can only put so much on Instagram. So yeah, I mean, just read more than a verse. Mm-hmm. You have to read the verses before it and the verses after it. And even better, the whole chapter and the whole book to kind of figure out who was this written to? What were they trying to communicate? What did the first audience understand this to mean? Mm-hmm. And then you can think about maybe how this might apply to my life. But I think one of the most dangerous things we can do is take scripture out of context because honestly, we can make scripture say whatever we want it to say if we just pick yep. a verse and and make it, you know, our life verse or something, but if it's out of context, then it's not what it's meant to be understood as. Uh, there's literally a t-shirt and a sweatshirt in my merch shop that say context matters. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Super passionate about that. What because... a good conversation starter though. You're just at the coffee shop. It is. Context matters. That's great. Well, and because I have a lot of experience with not, I, I just in my last probably maybe three to four years of my walk with Christ started actually digging into scripture past just reading a devotional or letting someone explain it to me. Mm-hmm. And it completely changed scripture and it completely changed, I mean, probably who I am mm-hmm. as a person. So I just, I'm, I agree with you. I think that that is really important. My last question, which we kind of touched on earlier, but I want to expand on is why is this so attractive? Mm. Why are so many people that we respect and that we've like followed along with or learned under, why are they lured by progressive Christianity and eventually end up just kind of taking that on as their worldview? That is a great question. And I think I, I have a chapter in my book about this. From my observations, from my research, we have to understand that the progressive Christian movement is largely a reaction against the types of evangelical backgrounds people have grown up in. So it's not like people are coming from atheism and Buddhism and Hinduism and saying, oh, progressive Christianity, this is the gospel. I want to put my trust in this gospel. That's not happening. You're not seeing people be converted to progressive Christianity from other worldviews. They're being converted to progressive Christianity from American evangelicalism. Yep. So that should tell you something right there. It's a reaction against something. So what we're seeing is people maybe experiencing legitimate abuse in the evangelical stream or, or environment that they grew up in. And so they're processing that abuse and maybe their church didn't handle it right and it got glossed over. And so they have this group of progressive Christians saying, come on over here. We will comfort you. We will affirm you. We will acknowledge the abuse that you've been through. And those are things we should be doing with people, by the way, who have Mm -hmm. been through abuse so that healing can happen and we should be dealing with the abuse. But when that goes undealt with, I can see why that would be so attractive to go to this other community that's like, hey, come on over here we're going to let you be you and you don't you're not going to have any kind of standard to live up to and that can be very comforting especially when you're coming out of a situation like that we're seeing people come out of hyper fundamentalist and legalistic backgrounds where they're being told if you wear shorts you're going to hell or the other denominations are all going to hell because they don't join our particular little stream of Christianity. And so then they they get out into the world. And again, there's this movement of people saying, we love Jesus too. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to wear a skirt down to your ankles <laughs> to, to love Jesus. You can come over here with us. And so there's a bit of a bait and switch, but then there's also just honestly, Blake, 
good old fashioned rebellion. Yeah. So, you know, we've got this culture telling us that not only are you a bigot if you don't capitulate to culture on sexuality, but you're actually hurting people. You're making mm-hmm. them depressed and you're driving them to suicide. So for for younger Christians who may be less mature, I can see how attractive that might be because they're like, well, I don't want to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to feel like they're less valuable. And so they go into this movement. But here's the problem with all of that. When people leave a situation and go into progressive Christianity, progressive Christianity is not going to give you the cure for what's wrong. They're not going to give you the cure for what will actually fix whatever it was you left. So there, you know, it's like if you compare it to a cancer patient, they're going to give you, it's like the cancer uh, hotel versus hospital. You can go to a hospital and get the cure, which might be uncomfortable and it might even hurt, but it's going to cure you. Or you can go to a hotel and die slowly in a bed and be comfortable on the way. Mm -hmm. And so that's essentially, I think, in my view, what progressive Christians are doing is they're not giving you the gospel cure, but they're saying, here's a bed and a warm blanket and we'll comfort you and love you and affirm you and tell you all the things you want to hear, but you're still going to die. And so that's why I'm so concerned about it because when there's been distortions with the real gospel, we need to address those things and fix those things, but it's the gospel. That's the real cure. And that's what you're not going to get in the progressive church. Amen. They think that they are offering peace because mm. everybody can just do whatever they want. And in reality, they're missing out on the only peace that actually surpasses understanding and is going to heal them from the wounds of whatever they grew up in. Amen. That's right. Okay. So I know that you have a ton of experience with this. So I want to ask kind of for the other side. So for the people who are aware, you know, they're watching this unfold, they're watching progressive Christianity and theology really grow and take over churches and leadership. And they are faced with backlash because I know you get called names, right? (laughs) I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, like for sure. I, I mean, I got called a fear pimp the other day. So oh, that was... <laughs> that's a new one. Well, At least they were creative. <laughs> I know. But so because that's coming and honestly, in my opinion, whether you're vocal or you're not, if you're choosing like traditional evangelical Christianity and you're not capitulating to this progressive worldview, like you said, What's your advice for the people that are are choosing that path that are kind of coming behind you and saying, no, like this is what the Bible says. And I realize that that is unpopular and uncomfortable, but I'm not going to change yeah. the errancy of scripture. Yeah, I would say buckle up because <laughs> you are going to be called names. But here's the comfort. Jesus promised that if you're a true follower of his, you are going to be persecuted. You are are going to be hated. The world's going to hate you just like mm-hmm. it hated him. And the world nailed him to a cross. Mm-hmm. So I think that it could it would do American Christians so much good to keep an eye on history. So looking back even to the first century, in the first and second centuries of Christianity, the culture thought that Christians, they actually got uh, accused of being atheists because they wouldn't worship the pantheon of God's in the pantheon. So they were they were saying, no, we're, we're going to worship the one God. Well, there was no category for that in the first century. They're like, well, what are you, some kind of atheist? They were accused of having these weird orgies and 
cannibalism because the culture didn't understand what they were doing with the Eucharist. And so they were called all kinds of names. And so I think that we need to keep that in mind, that we're not doing anything new. We're not blazing any new ground, right? We're just holding the line like all of the Christians who have come before us. And kind of like we touched on earlier in the podcast, we just don't know what that feels like because we've enjoyed so much affluence and privilege in this country up to this point, you know, where it's, it's just been pretty easy to be a Christian, even to be like when I was in high school, even to be a countercultural Christian was still kind of cool. Right. You know, you were still kind of like, in a way, kind of like cool for doing that, but Mm -hmm. it's not the case anymore. But now we're getting to taste just a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of a taste of what some Christians have experienced before us. And we're not even at the point where our lives are at stake. I mean, perhaps some jobs might be at stake, but our lives are not at stake. And so we need Mm -hmm. to just situate ourselves in history and realize like, this is nothing new. Yeah. And God gave strength and the Holy Spirit was with all the Christians who have gone before us. And he's with us now. And so we don't have to be afraid. And we need to keep our eyes on the audience of one. We need to do what we're doing for the Lord alone. And when we do that, we're not going to have fear of what people say about us around mm. us. And so, yeah, just encouragement to remember that, that this is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Come on. So good. It, literally, all you have to do is open your Bible. Mm. Again, we're just going to hammer that point home today that, I mean, yeah. go read about Paul. Go read about what that dude went through for the sake of the gospel. Right. And that being called a fear pimp on Instagram, eh, you know, <laughs> I think I'm going to make it because I'll be okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but there's, I like, I mean, I think most people like really love reading Paul's words to the churches of his time and golly they jump off the page these days Mm. you know because there's so many that he wrote that there's discourse within the church and if you talk about like a capital C church that's what we're watching happen and Mm. I was actually talking to I think it was my husband about it today about like this idea of peacekeeping and what of that is our our role as believers? And I was saying, what I appreciate is that Paul almost always said, if possible, mm-hmm. peaceably. <laughs> like he knew right. there were going to be times that it maybe wasn't possible, but was, was encouraging us to do that. But that I think that there are times when we're called to defend the faith, even if it doesn't keep the peace. Yes. Well, that's right. Because, and I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Well, of course, you know, we was declared peace on earth when he came because the peace comes when you submit yourself to him, when you put saving faith in him, but that he's exclusive and that is going to cause division. Yes. And so I think that's what he's talking about when saying like, yes, there's unity in the sense that all of those who are unified and putting their trust and their faith in Jesus, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to be unified, but that comes without compromise. Mm-hmm. We can't compromise the gospel for the sake of unity because the, the gospel is divisive. It, Jesus said it's going to turn people against each other. And that's something we should expect. And I think that if we put Jesus first and we put our walk with him first, then we're not going to worry so much about some of those other things. And there will be unity with other true Christians. Amen. Amen. I loved this conversation. I think obviously we could just forever, forever keep going, (laughs) but I want to give you the opportunity 
kind of as we close to tell people where they can read your blog, where they can kind of follow along with you and listen to you and, and just find all the things. You can find me on elisachilders.com. You can find everything there, my blog. And I have a podcast and it just launched a COVID-inspired YouTube channel. My husband's been off the road. So we built this whole YouTube studio. So we've been doing... And I'm going to tell you, it looks really cool. So it's awesome. Yeah. So you can find all the information there about where to find me. My book is called Another Gospel. And it actually tells my story. It's mostly a memoir. So it's telling the story of me walking through doubt and how I dug, you know, how, well, I don't want to say I dug myself out, but how God dug me out of this pit of doubt. And it tells that story. So you can get that anywhere books are sold. Another gospel, a lifelong Christian seeks truth in response to progressive Christianity. Awesome. Elisa, thank you so much. This was, this was such a cool conversation. I loved it, Blake. Thank you. I, I really, this was a special convo. I loved it. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.